Well, good morning. Good to be with all of you. We meant to get up here before, but it's hard to get around. purposes of the Bible to explain to us what the meaning of life is. Yet here it says in black and white, everything is meaningless. On the face of it, it seems that the author is Solomon. Some commentators have argued that the language of Ecclesiastes does not fit the language of Solomon's time. But others have refuted this by pointing out that the language of Ecclesiastes does not really fit later Hebrew either. It appears that it was Solomon who wrote the book for a number of reasons. First, since after Solomon's reign, the nation of Israel split into two nations. And so then, verse 1 above, as well as verse 12 of chapter 1, describes only Solomon. He was the only son of David who was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Also, many passages in Ecclesiastes refer to events in or aspects of Solomon's life and character. Solomon's great projects, as described in Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 10, are chronicled in 1 Kings 4, 27 through 32, 7 at 1 through 8, chapter 9 and chapter 10. And Solomon's downfall following his chasing after women, which we can look at 1 Kings 11. This is reflected in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Solomon's imparting of his wisdom and knowledge to others, as stated in Ecclesiastes 12, 9, and 10, can be found in 1 Kings. Moreover, the goal of the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes as stated many times and in many ways is to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the sun and and wisdom was also Solomon's great passion in life 
The words in Ecclesiastes are the words of the teacher. The word translated here, teacher, is also often translated as preacher. The verb form of the word translated elsewhere as assemble is used when people are assembled to hear important teaching or an important announcement. So the implication is that Solomon, the teacher, has something important to say. And what does he have to say? Meaningless. Meaningless. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Is this the important teaching for which the teacher has assembled us? This is far from uplifting. This is downright depressing. With these statements, the teacher states the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes by using a sweeping conclusion and a guiding question. The sweeping conclusion, meaningless, meaningless. The guiding question, what does man gain from all his labor which he toils under the sun? Most of the rest of the book consists of Solomon's search by his wisdom by human wisdom for meaning. Rather than meaning, Solomon finds meaninglessness at every turn. This happens despite the fact that Solomon searches for meaning seemingly in all the right places. He searches for meaning through pursuit of wisdom, through pleasure, through the undertaking of great projects, through hard work and achievement through riches. Each of these things is pleasing to the eye and a promising place to find meaning. Most of us desire more of each of these things in our lives. But Solomon, who had the power and the means to explore each of these things, far from finding his life enriched by these things, was left with a feeling of emptiness a feeling that he had been merely chasing after the wind. Earthly things look grand till the, prial, to, till the trial has proved their vanity. Much of Solomon's problem lies in the formation of his guiding question. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Solomon's was inherently a selfish pursuit. He was looking for some sort of gain for himself. This is the root of Solomon's difficulty in finding meaning. Solomon's definition of meaning was tied to gain for himself. In his investigations and explorations, Solomon ran in, runs into much that is meaningless this may seem depressing at first, for it seems that every path the author takes ends up in meaningfulness. Excuse me, meaningfulness. Yeah, meaninglessness. But in the end, Solomon does reach a path that leads to meaningfulness. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. 
Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. In the New Testament, in 1 John 3, 23, we are given a summary of the commandments of God, the keeping of which, as Solomon concludes, leads to meaningfulness. And this is his command, to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, which ensures a right relationship with God, and to love one another as he commanded us, which ensures a right relationship with our fellow men. As we go through the book of Ecclesiastes, we see that it is full of results and conclusions reached through worldly means. We also find that elsewhere in the Bible, God has addressed these matters and has given us godly alternatives to these worldly results and conclusions. Where Solomon's search for meaning has resulted in a dead end, God elsewhere has pointed out the flaw in Solomon's search and has corrected the parameters of the search so that it can result in not a dead end, but a new life. For example, Jesus himself points out the flaw of Solomon's guiding question. Solomon asks, what does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? But Jesus warns, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Matthew 8.36, excuse me, Mark 8.36. The answer to life's puzzle cannot be found through looking for gain, for we can gain the whole world and yet forfeit our soul or our chance for eternal life. And so Solomon's search for meaning was flawed from the beginning because his basis for meaning in life was measured in terms of gain. He asked from the start, what does man gain? Jesus alternatively teaches that true meaning in life is found not through gain, but through loss. Jesus teaches, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Mark 8, 35. This is a difficult teaching. For in our selfish sin nature, we are inclined to seek gain for ourselves, not loss. In our sin nature, our natural inclination is to look for meaning in life through gain, through wisdom, through achievement, through labor, through riches, all for ourselves. But God has purposely made the end of these roads meaninglessness. He has done this to steer us to glory. For if we could find meaning in life through human wisdom, through man's achievement, through riches, through pleasure, then we would stop there. We would not go on to seek the glory that God has set aside for us. Paul preaches, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Romans 8, 20 through 21. 
By the will of God, the creation was subjected to frustration. The search for meaning in the world will necessarily lead to frustration. But God had a goal in subjecting the world to frustration. This was done in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. So the frustration, the meaninglessness, was purposeful. Through it, we are meant to turn away from the world and turn to God for meaning. Others have summarized the book of Ecclesiastes well. The scope of Ecclesiastes is to contrast the vanity of all mere human pursuits when made the chief end as contrasted with the real blessedness of true wisdom. The purpose of Ecclesiastes is to bring into clear view the chief good, the true happiness of man, in what it does not consist, not in the wisdom, pleasures, honors, and riches of this world, in what it does consist, the enjoyment and service of God. Solomon's is not to allure men to the pleasures of the world, but rather to deter them from such pleasures and exhort them with a divine eloquence to despise the world. After having disputed through the whole book against those who desire to satisfy themselves with such good, he at the close teaches them that happiness consists not in things of this kind, but in true piety. And thus concludes, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. To understand that the book of Ecclesiastes is written from a human point of view is crucial to the understanding of the book. If this is not understood properly, there are many passages in the book which truly sound strange and out of place in, for inclusion in an inspired book of the Bible. For example, the author writes, Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourselves? Ecclesiastes 7.16 And also, a feast is made for laughter, and wine makes life merry, but money is the answer for everything. Ecclesiastes 10.19 These are strange verses to find in the Bible until we realize that they are told from the viewpoint of worldly wisdom. From a worldly point of view, it is proper advice to be to not be over-righteous. From a worldly point of view, yes, money is the answer for everything. For the most part, Solomon is not so much telling us how things should be, but how things are. He recounts what he has seen and experienced as he sought out wisdom, and the scheme of things as they are under the sun. Invariably, as Solomon follows worldly pursuits, worldly wisdom, worldly pleasures, worldly projects, he ends up in the same place with an empty feeling, complaining that everything is meaningless. Yet, there is a purpose to Solomon's ravings. He is demolishing to build. In order to truly appreciate the wisdom of God and the wisdom of his plan, 
we must come to realize that the wisdom of men and the schemes of men lead to meaninglessness, to vanity. Solomon's discord, discourse strikes a chord. The searching questions he has asked are those that life itself puts to us. This is life from the world's point of view. We have all seen many of the things that Solomon has written about here. We have ourselves pondered these things and wondered at the perceived meaninglessness of life. Since these issues resonate in the lives of us, of us all, this book can be, a value, can be valuable as a teaching tool. Many are seeking an answer to the question that Solomon raises. In this book, Solomon uses the thought processes of men, of the world's philosophers. Many non-believers throughout the ages have come to the same conclusion that Solomon has. Thus, the book of Ecclesiastes is important in this way. By its inclusion in the Bible, it shows us that God knows and understands the things men ponder about in life. God knows and understands the hearts of men. He knows what they feel, what they think, what they ponder, what they seek to understand. God knows and understands that when men, by their wisdom, seek to find the meaning of life, they conclude that everything is meaningless. God purposely designed life in this way. God wants us to depend on him for answers to the ultimate questions of life. When the philosophers of the world ponder and investigate and search out the scheme of things, they get nowhere. But when they give up, when they come to their end, when they kneel down in their despair and cry out, God, if you were there, answer these things, then they begin to find meaning. Our God is not the God of the agnostics. The God of the agnostics in the beginning wound up the universe like a toy and let it run by itself. This is not our God. This is not a true picture of the living God. The God of the agnostics has left man to their own resources in answering, in seeking answers to ultimate questions, and their conclusion throughout the ages has been everything is meaningless. But the true and living God has not left us alone to figure out these things for ourselves. The Bible is a history of God's personal dealings with man on this earth. And God has not left us with meaninglessness, but has intervened on earth and has given us his word in the Bible so that we may discover the true scheme of all things. In the supreme act of love in the universe, he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who has testified to the truth of the word of God in the Bible. The truth of Christ, Christ's testimony was confirmed by his signs and wonders, as well as, and especially, by his resurrection from the dead. Certainly, the one who has conquered death knows the meaning of life.
Ecclesiastes is a very important book of the Bible. The book of Ecclesiastes shows us that God understands the human condition. At the end of Ecclesiastes, the author states, What Solomon wrote was upright and true. As we read through Ecclesiastes, we will come to agree with this statement. Though at times he is cynical, though at times he is downright irreverent, Solomon very eloquently expresses the philosophical problems that we face here on earth. It is not God's will that we ignore these philosophical dilemmas. God knows very well that we will face them sooner or later. Rather, it is his will that we face these things head on so that through through discovering the meaninglessness of life from man's point of view, we will be drawn to the meaningfulness of life from God's point of view. As Solomon points out, the words in Ecclesiastes are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Ecclesiastes 12:11. They are goads prodding us to seek true meaning of life from God. Ecclesiastes 1, verses 4 through 8. Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has seen, never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Ecclesiastes is an account of Solomon's search through human wisdom for meaning in life. In verse 2, Solomon summarized the result of his search. Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. In verse 4, Solomon begins the substantiation of his conclusion. First, he points out that man's existence is fleeting as compared to the perpetuity of nature. Generations come and generations go but the earth remains forever. Since we come and go, how could there be any lasting meaning for us? And even though the earth remains forever, it itself is not getting anywhere. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes never returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the places the streams come from, there they return again. In the natural processes of the earth, there is much labor, but no results. The sun, the wind, the sea, just get back to where they started. No progress is made. 
No goal is being near, just the same things over and over. Solomon sees this same monotony and lack of progress in the fleeting lives of people. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. Have we ever felt this same weariness, wearisomeness? We desire something. We strive to achieve it. We succeed. And then the next day, we are bored with life once again and desire something else. We often say, if I had such and such, then I'll be happy. So God gives us such and such, and then are we happy? No. The cycle begins again. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. The eye and the ear are relentless taskmasters, never satisfied, always asking for more. We must face this fact that there is no satisfaction in the things of the world. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon reaches his conclusions through worldly means. Elsewhere in the Bible, God has addressed these same matters and has given us godly alternatives to Solomon's worldly results and conclusions. Solomon found life wearisome because he discovered that the eye never has enough of seeing nor the ear its fill of hearing. The problem with Solomon's tactic is that he was seeking satisfaction in the things of the world. In what his eye could see, and ear could hear. In speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus addressed this. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John 4, 13, 14. God has purposely made the things of this world unsatisfying so that we will seek the things above, so that we will thirst for the living water, the water that Jesus gives us. His water not only satisfies our thirst, but becomes in us a spring of living water, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Nothing new under the sun. This Ecclesiastes 1 verses 9 and 10. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was already it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. Solomon also finds a parallel between our lives and the workings of the world, and that in that in both, the same things happen over and over. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Yes, there are new inventions, new gadgets, new toys, but there is nothing new of lasting importance. 
there is nothing new with a viewpoint of human wisdom that can shake Solomon's conclusion that everything is meaningless. In man's search for meaning, for spirituality, the same philosophical fads are rehashed over and over. As men search for new ways of looking at life, they stumble onto the same philosophical thoughts and arguments that have been pondered and hashed out for centuries. What they find may be novel to them, or hip and cool for a time, but it is not new. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was all here already, long ago. It was here before our time. For some reason, we aren't satisfied with the old. We feel we must find something new. We think there's got to be something new that no one else has thought of that brings satisfaction. In their rebellious nature, young people sometimes feel that they must reject what the old people are doing. They must reject, reject the tried and the true. But this rejection of the tried and true does not bring anything new. It just causes them to cover the same ground that the rebels of the past covered. Round and round they go until they end up where Solomon did, saying, meaningless, meaningless, there is nothing new under the sun. But there is an alternative, God's alternative. We can find something new, but it comes from the old. Through Jesus Christ, we ourselves can become new. We are promised if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Only he who created us in the first place can make anything new. And he has promised us new life through his Son. For through baptism into Christ Jesus, we are buried with him. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Romans 6, 4. Do we want something new? Are we tired of the same old meaningless life? Let us turn to God. Let us trust in Jesus Christ. Let us seek new life in Him. He will give our lives newness and meaning. He will press us into His service, giving our lives purpose. The Limits of Human Wisdom, Ecclesiastes 1, verses 11 to 18. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. 
Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. In the previous sections, Solomon wrote about what he saw as the meaninglessness of life around him. In this section, he begins to focus on his own life specifically as he searches to find meaning in his own life. He begins with a general note concerning the lives of men. There is no remembrance of men of old, or even, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Yes, we do remember Solomon, partly due to these very words that he wrote. But we have no remembrance or even knowledge of a vast, vast majority of people that have walked upon this earth. And so if we are looking for meaning in life through fame or renown, such meaning in the scheme of things will be very fleeting at best. As the pages of time turn, the remembrance of even the most famous people grows dimmer and dimmer. The notable and divine exceptions to this rule are the men and women of the Bible. As a part of God's word, they will always be remembered, for the word of our God stands forever. Our remembrance of Solomon through the ages is due to his reign in Israel as well as his celebrated wisdom, about which he writes next. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. As king, Solomon, Solomon's studies in wisdom were undertaken with the goal of trying to improve life as the ruler of the nation. The conclusions of these studies... What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, all of them meaningless, chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Solomon realized that despite all of his wisdom and despite the power he had as king, he could not straighten what was twisted. He could not supply what was lacking. The burden on a man alone, trying to lead a nation by his own power, trying to straighten what is twisted and supply what is lacking, was indeed a heavy burden. What Solomon did not immediately realize that what is twisted in the world and what is lacking in the world are due to the fall of man and the continuing sin of men. No man can remedy this. The imperfection in the arrangement of the world results from the fall. All attempts to rectify this imperfection without recognition of the fall of man are vain. The dislocated state of all creaturely, creaturely things, subject as they are to vanity, is designed to bring us in despair of bettering them to take refuge in God. Yes, what a heavy burden God has laid on men. But Jesus invited, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, upon, excuse me, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew 11, 28-30 Jesus demonstrated his ability to straighten what is twisted when he straightened the crippled woman who had been bent over for 18 years, and when he straightened the shriveled hand that it was completely restored. And Jesus has demonstrated that he can supply what is lacking through the lives of many who have come to him for fulfillment. As he promised the woman at the well, everyone who drinks the water of this world will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Solomon thought that human wisdom could solve all problems, so he set out to become the wisest man in the world. I thought to myself, look, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. But the more he understood wisdom and the workings of the world, the more he understood the limits of human wisdom. Then I applied myself to to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned this too, is a chasing after the wind. Not only did Solomon discover that human wisdom could not solve all problems, He also learned that there were drawbacks to being wise. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. As we study and become wiser in the ways of the world, we see how truly dark and lost the world is. With what much wisdom comes much sorrow. As we learn history or read about current events in the newspaper, we learn of the misery of fallen man. The more knowledge, the more grief. Indeed, the benefits of human wisdom are limited. Speaking of Israel in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, tells us, These things happened to them as as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Brothers and sisters, we are to learn from the past. It is God who has made us. He knows our frame. He knows our hearts and minds. He knows that we learn from examples and repetition. Precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Isaiah 28.10 Let us use the examples God has given us, both positive and negative to help us live our lives in conformity to his will. 2 Peter 1, 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.